Well, hi, everybody. It's really great to be joining you this weekend. And we are not currently in a sermon series. We have what we call standalone messages here at Timberline. And this is one of those. And the title of the message is When Jesus Comes to Town. I'd like us to look at Matthew 21, where Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem uh, just a few days, of course, before the events of Easter, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the crucifixion and the resurrection. So let's read about when Jesus came to town. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people all around him, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I often joke here at Timberline about how the Queen of England and I, how we hang out together. And of course, I'm joking. I've never met the Queen. She doesn't actually call me. But I do remember the day when I went to see the Queen, although it was with hundreds of thousands of other people. I was just in the crowd. It was the day of the Queen's birthday. Now, actually, she has two birthdays, her official birthday and her actual birthday. Now, why is this, I hear you say, and I haven't got a clue, and that's not important right now. But it was one of her birthdays. Must be nice to have two. I wonder if you get cards on both days. And she goes on a state procession for her birthday. She was riding along on a beautiful horse, and the crowds were clapping and cheering as she rode by. It was a portrait of glorious pomp and ceremony and power. When Jesus came to town, he didn't ride on a beautiful horse, but, but a, young, a young male donkey, a, a colt, uh, a beast of burden actually is what the text says. When Jesus rode into town, it was a very difficult, different picture. Now, now, what's this got to do with us? Well, let, let's face it. The last year and a quarter or so have been, it's been a very difficult time. It's been a time of lockdown. It's been a time of restriction. And thank the Lord, it feels like we're coming out from that now. And as we've been navigating this time, it's occurred to me that actually much of the Bible was written by people in lockdown in restriction, two people in lockdown and restriction, whether it's Israel in uh, Egypt as slaves, whether it's Joseph in prison or Daniel in exile or Paul and Silas singing their songs at midnight in the prison house. 
whether it's the Apostle John on the prison island of Patmos. The Bible is often written or frequently written by people in restriction and difficulty to people in restriction and difficulty. And when Jesus rode into town, he rode into a city filled with people who were under the lockdown conditions of the Roman oppressors who were occupying the land at that time. And there was a sense as he arrives that he comes as a rescuing hero. I believe that there are important lessons that we can learn from this story. The first thing is this. This is a time to affirm the Lord of history and eternity. We read here in Matthew, this took place, all of this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. Now, Matthew is really keen to join the dots between Old Testament prophecy and New Testament fulfillment. And there was this prophecy made, you can find it in Zechariah chapter 9, about what would happen on this day. Matthew wants us to know Jesus is fulfilling the prophetic words that were spoken hundreds, hundreds of years earlier. I think it's important for us to look up at this time and remember in the challenging season, and that's, that's putting it mildly, that we've all been in, and some of us more so fighting illness and anxiety about loved ones who were sick and concerned about business and job, businesses and jobs. And we don't live in a puppet theater where God is pulling all the strings, but it's important for us to know as we see Jesus coming to town, fulfilling the words spoken centuries earlier, it's important for us to know that he is the Lord of history and indeed of eternity. Those are the themes of books like Daniel and, and, and Revelation. This eternal hope that we have. Prince Philip, His Royal Highness Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, died a few weeks ago. You probably saw that on TV. And at his funeral, uh, a, a couple of interesting things happened. First of all, they played the last post. The buglers played the last post. He was, a, uh, he was a Navy man, and that signaled the end of the day. And then they, they played what we call the Revali. It's the wake-up call, the beginning of a new day. I have a, a ministry colleague and a friend back in, in the UK, and he serves as a chaplain to the royal family. In fact, every year when the Queen writes the Queen's speech, he advises her on that and, and he preaches at the church that they attend and has spent time with them, weekends with them. And he had the opportunity, he shared with me that he had the opportunity some years ago to talk with Prince Philip about his funeral planning. And here's what Prince Philip shared. Prince Philip was a committed Christian. And he said, at my funeral, they're going to play the last post. Then they're going to play the wake-up call and people will think it's just a military thing. But then Prince Philip said, actually, this is referring to the fact that, yes, I have died, but then the resurrection hope that I have in Christ, that's what that wake-up call at my funeral will be about. And then Prince Philip said to my friend, and only those who know their Bibles will get it. I love that. Do we get the truth? 
that even when we face challenges, that this is not ultimately and finally it, but we have a resurrection, eternal hope in Jesus, the Lord of history and indeed of eternity. And, and sometimes, you know, when life is challenging, I don't lose my faith. I just mislay it like I mislay my keys every day. It's a daily discipline for me to lose my keys. I mislay, mislay my faith. And perhaps this is a time for us to, to look up and realize that we are in his hands. That doesn't guarantee any kind of trouble-free life. In fact, he guarantees we will have trouble in this world. But he is the Lord of history and eternity. Secondly, let's, this is a time to ask if we know the real Jesus. If we know the real Jesus. Look at what happened here. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them, ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, what's this all about? Why are they, why are they using their clothing uh, to pave the way for him? And why are they wrecking the trees and waving these palms around? Well, we need to understand a couple of things in the background here. First of all, there was a strong expectation of a military messiah at this time in Israel's history. They were under the lockdown oppression of the Roman occupiers, and they were looking for a strong-armed Messiah to come riding into Jerusalem, overcome those hated Romans, and then re-establish Israel to a place of prominence and power. There's something else that we need to know about this story. You see, 200 years earlier, a similar event to this had happened. It had followed the, uh, the terrible deeds done by uh, the Greek ruler Antiochus Epiphanes. Now stay with me in this little history lesson. He had come and, and taken Jerusalem and he wanted to show his power over the Jewish population. He offered pig's flesh in the temple, an abomination to the Jewish mind, to another god, the Olympian god Zeus. He, he turned the temple cubicles into a brothel. And so he completely trampled over everything that the Jewish people held sacred. And then a priest by the name of Judas Maccabeus rode into town in 164 BC, around 200 years before this event. And he kicked out the Seleucid Empire and he reestablished and cleansed the temple. And they shouted, Hosanna! And they waved palm branches, with, which is what you would do back then to welcome a conqueror or a king. In fact, many of the coins that were in, in, in the currency of Jesus' day had a palm on the coin. It was an expression of nationalism generally. And so when Jesus rode into town, they're thinking, here we go again. Our deliverer has come to set us free from our oppressor. Why are they shouting, son of David? Well, David was the golden king of Israel and Jerusalem was his capital city. And Jesus comes down from from the Mount of Olives. Now, now that's a fulfillment of Zechariah 14. Now here's the thing. As Jesus rides into town, the crowds are excited, waving palm branches and all of that. 
But they got it completely wrong. Because he got, does go to the temple, but he doesn't cleanse it in the way that happened 200 years earlier, but he turns the tables over on the extortionate merchants in the temple. Here's the thing. Jesus is exactly what Jerusalem needs, but he's not what they expect. And it's like they didn't notice the donkey. He's not riding on a war horse. He's riding on a lowly beast. Tom Wright has said the people wanted a prophet, but this prophet would tell them that their city was under God's imminent judgment. And they wanted a Messiah, but this one was going to be enthroned on a pagan cross. And they wanted to be rescued from evil and oppression, but Jesus was going to rescue them from evil and its full debts, and not just the surface evil of Roman occupation and the exploitation by the rich. So what does that mean to us? Have we got a picture of Jesus that is distorted, maybe even wrong? We can create in our thinking a Jesus that we like, the God of my preferences, the God who's the side of him that I like, the God of my nation, the God who is like me, the God who supports my cause, the Jesus I can understand, the Jesus who wants me to be comfortable, more about that later, the Jesus who's the first responder. When I'm in trouble, just call 911. He'll be right there. The Jesus who always says yes to whatever I want. The Jesus who always says no. Have we got the right Jesus. And we need a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to figure that out. It's been said that God made humanity in his image. And ever since humanity has been trying to return the favor, there's something in us that makes, wants us to make God to be like we want him to be. It goes back to the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what the serpent whispered? You shall be like God. And if we can't be like God, we'd like a God that we'd like. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to consistently reveal to us the real Jesus. Let's be people of Scripture that don't dream up Jesus based on our hopes and whims and desires. Let's turn to the difficult stories in the Bible, the bits that we'd like to really ignore, especially when Jesus does something that we don't fully understand. Let's make sure that we've got the right Jesus. Thirdly, and I touched on this earlier, this is a time to know that Jesus comes to stir us and not just to comfort us. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. The whole city was stirred, and the word stirred there is very interesting. It is actually used elsewhere in the Bible of earthquakes and apocalyptic upheavals. Uh, one translation is they were wild with excitement. Another one is they were thrown into commotion. And here's what I've discovered about the real Jesus. He always stirs things up. Even when he was born, he stirred things up. How can a baby do that? But we read in Matthew 2 verse 3, when King Herod heard of this, heard about the birth of a Messiah, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. You see, Jesus doesn't come just to make us feel nice and comfortable. And sometimes he comes to us to 
to cause us to be restless or agitated, to be stirred up, to, to break into a new pattern of living, to go somewhere that may be uncomfortable in his name. If we've got a Jesus who always just says, sit here, because I've just got the most amazing couch and put your feet up for the next rest of your life, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Maybe we should pray again, Lord, shake me up stir me. And where there's any complacency in me, shake me out of that as I offer myself to you in new availability. And then this is a time to serve. Jesus comes in humility, not as a conquering king. Again, I mentioned it earlier, but they bought a donkey and a colt to him, threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. And this is a colt, not a war horse. He rides in, not as a man of war, but as the Son of God coming in peace. He comes as a servant to serve us in all that he did on the cross and in the resurrection. And when we look at his servant like humble heart, not riding in in pomp and ceremony, but on a humble donkey, we don't just admire that, but we're called to follow that example. When we read in Philippians about Christ's servant heart, we, we read there that in our relationships with one another, Philippians 2.5, we should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. That latter, latter statement is Philippians 2.7. The writer is saying, be like this. Don't just admire Jesus in his serving attitude, but... Be a serving person yourself. A few years ago, Ken and I were leading one of our annual trips to the Holy Land. And um, we, we got back from Israel to Heathrow Airport to London. Uh, we always come back via London and, and then stay overnight and then come back here to Colorado. And we got through uh, ahead of the rest of the group because we're British citizens, so that made it quicker. And uh, we decided to offload everybody's bags. There were about 100 bags coming around and they had these bright yellow labels, too much information, I know you don't care. And um, so we thought we'll offload all of the bags. So we're working really hard and loading up these carts, carts with the shopping bag, uh, not the shopping bags, with the, the luggage, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And um, suddenly this lady walked up to me. She was not from our group. No one from our group had come through. And she walked up to me and she thought I was a, a baggage porter or an assistant. And she, she said, um, that's my bag there, get that for me. And I'm like, obviously you think I work here. But I thought, I better, that's too complicated. I'll just, I'll just get her bag. And so I, I pulled her bag off, the, off of the belt and she said, uh, and, and then that one there, get that. I mean, I mean, she was pretty aggressive. I was scared. So I, I took that bag and she said, put it on the cart. And I stacked it on the, and she said, no, not like that, duh. Turn it up the other way. And, and everything in me wanted to say, excuse me, lady, I don't actually work here, I'm just trying to be nice. And then, and then she, I didn't say any of that, I just put the bag on there and, and, and she walked off. Didn't even give me a tip. I mean, that's really rude. I mean, you'd think, anyway. 
I think it's Pastor Darry who said, you know that you have a servant heart by the way that you react when people treat you like one. And as we see Jesus riding into town, let's recognize again that we're called to have a servant-like attitude, to be humble and gracious in our actions, in our words, in our conflicts, in our disagreements. That doesn't mean that we allow people just to walk all over us, but it does mean that we have a willing heart to serve. Finally, this is time to share the news about what it means to follow Christ. We read the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So the question is being asked, who is this? I would like to suggest that that is the most important question in life. The most important question in life is not, how can I, can I fix my hair? I never even bother to ask that question. It's what it is. The most important question in life is not, where will I live? How much money will I make? The most important question in life is, who is Jesus? Because the answer to that question changes everything. If Jesus... He's just a good teacher. He was just a, a good guy and he told us how to live and, and then they executed him and, and that was it. Well, that's kind of helpful, but it's not life-changing. There have been lots of philosophers and teachers uh, who have set out all kinds of agendas throughout history. But think about this. If Jesus is the risen Son of God, if he really did beat the power of death and hell, I'd like to suggest that changes everything. That changes everything. The answer to that question leads us to the conclusion that we can no longer just do life as we want to do it without ever thinking about what's right. And more than that, it means that we can't just give heaven a nod and, and make, yeah, I, I believe in him and doesn't really affect my Mondays and kind of entertains me on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. The answer to that question is the key that unlocks a door to everything. And the crowd ask, who is this? And the answer that came back was incomplete, but it did point in the right direction. The crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And it might be that you have never come to that place of allowing that question to confront you where you are, not just theoretically or academically, not just as a matter of interest, because if Jesus really is the Son of God, that changes everything, that should change our lives. And it might be that in facing that question, that the, an answer of faith, as you say, I believe that he is the Christ, that that then leads you to say, and I will follow him, I will accept his love, his grace, his forgiveness. I will determine today to become one of his followers and live life not only under his direction and blessing, but under his 
authority. The answer to the question, who is he? It really does change everything. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that as we see you riding into town, into the city as it was, the city of Jerusalem, we see a beautiful portrait of you, the real Jesus. Wherever, if I can put it like this, wherever we've got you wrong, Lord, and surely in many ways we have, reveal yourself to us through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit as we walk the pathway of life and as we glean wisdom. We don't want to create a profile, a picture of you that is wrong. We want the real Jesus to be in charge of our lives. And then, Lord, we pray that you will help us, particularly those who are really continuing to struggle at this time in their lives. May we have a sense of your Lordship, of history, of eternity. Would you give us the ability to see your greatness afresh and put our trust in you? Wherever we need to be stirred, Lord, wherever we've settled down and become comfortable, we invite you afresh to stir our hearts. Let's just pause for a moment and make that rather dangerous prayer our own. Who knows where that prayer could perhaps lead? Where we need to assume a heart and a posture of serving, where that becomes a challenge. It affronts us even, sometimes even our pride. Help us to serve. Finally, before I end this prayer, I talked about answering that question, who is this? And perhaps it's time for you watching this right now, and thank you so much for joining us, to allow that question to come to you so that you're not just a spectator gathering information, but you allow the truth of all of this to impact your life. And it might be that right now, you want to make a decision to invite Jesus. I'm going to pray, but do listen up at the end of our time together because instruction will be given for you to help you to make the next meaningful step as you make that wonderful choice. Father, for anyone watching now who stands on the threshold of answering that question and beginning a new life, meet with them, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.